Okay, we're officially live. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm editing the theme music in at the beginning of the show, but just so we can get in the mood because Kano's in here and we, you know, me and Kano really like this music. Hopefully you guys can hear that. There you go. Oh, somebody texted me. Kano, you want to do the honor since, uh, you know, you always did? <laughs> well, you are in the rotation with Central Florida Normal. Uh, I'm your executive director, Christopher Kano. Uh, you are looking at us live in the studio with uh, Carlos, our deputy director, and Gary. Hello, hello. Of public policy, better known as the political guru around the halls of Tallahassee. <laughs> Among other things, yes, they told me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if, if you all run a nonprofit, I highly recommend you get you a public policy director like Gary. Gary's also available to freelance on the side, so please hire him. He is an amazing consultant. <laughs> <laughs> he, will, he, he knows everything about the process, and he definitely has a firm grasp of both the history of cannabis and the need for reform in the policy sector. Gary, we would not be where we are today without you in this state, my man, and no, oftentimes being a uh, cannon warrior and a hero for the people uh, is not a rewarding job, except for the self gratification you get from uh, helping other people. So that being said, Gary, you you deserve all accolades at all times. So. And let me just say, welcome Cano back into the rotation because uh, you weren't on the show last year. So so everybody's up to speed here. Cano is actually in Washington D.C. right now kind of fighting the good fight for teachers unions and whatnot. So he doesn't just do marijuana policy stuff. Yeah, I'm a all around uh, bleeding heart liberal, as, as some folks might call it, but definitely not a snowflake. I love my Second Amendment. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's a lot of uh, cool stuff going on here in D.C., um, you know, coming up uh, later this month when Congress goes back into session, uh, according to national normal, we have every indication uh, that we will be going to a vote in the House Representatives uh, for the first time on a bill to deschedule cannabis. So the Marijuana Opportunity um, Restoration and Expungement Act, the MORE Act, uh, which is sponsored in the Senate by um, Vice Presidential Candidate and Senator from California, Kamala Harris, is looking to be taken up in the House for a vote. So and this is the first time that's ever happened, right? Like, yeah, a, a full floor vote. I mean, most of the time, these bills have died in committee. Uh, the committee that this, um, uh, you know, needed to go through to go to a House vote, um, because of the previous election, um, there was turnover in the House, the Democrats that took over. Um, and then also the, the chairman who uh, was a Republican that was chairing that committee lost his seat. So that, you know, uh, elections matter. And especially when it comes to uh, policy. So that's why, you know, we as a chapter strive to educate our members, educate the general public on who's on their side and who's not. And it, it's not a one party fight. There are, are good people in both parties uh, who are willing to champion this. Um, it's just a matter of identifying who they are and, and holding people accountable. You know, at the same time, politics does make strange bedfellows. So there are folks who may be, you know, pro cannabis reform. Uh, but at the same time, they may have some other abhorrent policies uh, that we all might disagree with. So uh, it is interesting to see how this is all shaping up. But uh, for the vast majority of Americans, this is not a partisan issue. This is an issue about uh, freedom. It's an issue about your civil rights. 
of not being trampled because you choose to use this plant to be healthy. And, you know, and, and I mean, I just want to like ask a few questions. Cause like, as you guys know, I'm like the least political person on this whole show here, but, uh, all right. So Tell me snowflake. <laughs> if, if it passes in the house, what is the likelihood of that happening and what happens next? So there is a strong, you know, possibility that it, it would pass in the house. It's a strong possibility. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, majority of the Democratic caucus is, is on board with this. Um, cool. There are some Republicans that will cross the aisle, you know, and vote on it. Again, this is an issue that has bipartisan support. Um, you know, the, the, the problem a, a lot of advocates who are against this particular bill have is they're concerned that it will create a regulatory and taxing structure similar to the state of California, which does not work for working class people. It doesn't work for people who can't afford to pay those prices for their medicine. And that's just a concern that, um, you know, many people might have uh, with this bill is that in other states uh, you might see, you know, taxing structures that basically push people back into the black market. And I, I know that's been a, a concern that's been raised by certain veterans groups uh, across the country um, in regards to this particular bill. And that's definitely a concern that I have here in Florida because, I mean, I'm not a big fan of how our medical system is set up. So this could possibly bring back like what has like all the progress we've done with our medical system. If progress at all, oh, this is going to be overreaching. It's not going to just affect the medical system and the, uh, and the adult use system, but also affect the hemposphere as well, because it will blur that line in regards to what is hemp versus what is marijuana at 0.03%. And so therefore with that, that barrier uh, removed, it'll, it'll put a lot more freedom onto the, uh, onto the hemp market uh, for those people who sell CBD. So this could potentially affect my livelihood. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, well, geez, I don't know yeah. what to say. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll be happy to, to read over the Pacific highlights. Um, the, the first line uh, of the you know bill summary, this bill decriminalizes marijuana. So okay. that's a good first step. But that's step one. It removes marijuana from the list of controlled substances under the Controlled Substances Act and eliminates criminal penalties for an individual who manufactures, distributes, or possesses marijuana. Hmm. On first glance, everything that we're in support of. I like it. This next part is particular to you two, since you love to have this argument. This replaces statutory references to marijuana and marijuana with cannabis. <laughs> I'm all for that. Hold on. This is actually one of the areas that me and Gary agree on, because as far as our, our legal system, how it's worded in our law here in America, it should indeed be the scientific English term. Not just a Spanish no, term. I've decided from now on it's just mota. <laughs> I, I love it. It's just sticky, icky, icky. <laughs> El sticky, though. <laughs> I don't think you can call it anything you like. When it comes to laws, yeah. you need to have some kind of standardization. And that's, that's the basic situation. Yeah. And it should be rooted in science. Uh, all laws that we have should be rooted in, in, in rational public policy based on the scientific method. I mean, that's why they call it political science, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, not to get too deep into the subject, but you know, when, when a lawmaker is using the word marijuana, even from my side of the argument here that me and Gary talk about, it's absolutely racist for him to put that wording into the law because oh. it's, you know, he, he's using that for a purpose, you know? Uh, yeah. 
Well, I, I don't think anything that I do really is racist, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we are well aware that the, the whole basis behind the illegality of, of cannabis came from a, a thrust towards racism. If, they had, if there hadn't been racism, we wouldn't have illegal cannabis right now because I just used the word marijuana to make it illegal because the medical community knew it as cannabis. And that, that, that is the basic spot as far as that's concerned. Yep. This, um, you know, this bill also requires the Bureau of Labor Statistics to regularly publish uh, demographic data on cannabis business owners and employees. So obviously that, that indicates that there may be some future, um, you know, issues with, uh, you know, one that the government's tracking who owns what cannabis businesses, who works for you. Um, there may be future issues around, you know, diversity and hiring and ownership. Um, so I, you know, that that's uh, an interesting part of the bill, but uh, this next part that it establishes a trust fund to support various programs and services for individuals and businesses in communities impacted by the war on drugs. The the intention of this is to specifically utilize taxes drawn from the bill um, and, and put them into communities, typically uh, the African-American and Latino communities that we've seen over-policed and damaged by the war on drugs and, and utilize it for their revitalization. Now, I have concerns about this, not because of the intention of it, but on the execution, because as we've seen so many times, um, our, our bureaucracy in this country, our, our ability to actually get um, funds and services to the people who need it most on the ground uh, often gets caught up. You know, you, you see it, uh, government administrators making you know six figure salaries in some agencies while they're supposed to be serving the most uh, impoverished among us. So that, that that's a, just a small concern moving forward. I mean, we can pick this bill apart, look at its pros and cons, but in the grand scheme of things, the very first thing it does is decriminalize marijuana, which is a, is a good first step. And that's why national normal is, is pushing so hard because this is all there is, you know, um, mm -hmm. that's the, the, the part about our political system that oftentimes, you know, people who are diehard uh, advocates about causes have issues around in that this is probably the, the most compromised bill to get through, right? It, it's the most palpable for everyone on all sides to digest. I mean, for years we wanted universal health care. We got the Affordable Care Act. You know, we want the legalization of cannabis with no penalties and the right to utilize it, you know, with, with total freedom. And we're getting the more of that. And, and so that that's the best way to, to make an analogy for this. But this bill does impose a 5% tax on cannabis products. It requires those revenues to be deposited into that trust fund that we were just talking about. Now, Carlos, this might be interesting for you and this might be helpful. It will make the Small Business Administration loans and services available to entities that are cannabis related, uh, legitimate businesses or service providers. Hmm. So it, am I correct in thinking that that helps like, you know, small business people to get into the business? Like it's it's kind of like a way to destruct that, you know, big oligarchy or oligopoly that's over the, the industry now. Yeah, essentially right now, the way the industry is operating is you do have um, some of these major players who can, you know, self-finance. They can they can afford to do things themselves. But small business owners like yourself, I mean, you know, it's difficult to walk into a bank. You put on your, your application. Hey, I need a loan. And they're like, for what? Oh, I run a cannabis business. You know, you uh -huh. 
red denied right on your application. But this this will you know essentially alleviate that because it also prohibits the denial of um, federal public benefits to a person on the basis of uh, cannabis related conduct or convictions. So this this also um, prevents you know the discrimination at the federal level uh, for people who may need like housing may need access to, to loans, may need access to a numerous of uh, other services. Um, it also prohibits the denial of benefits and protections under immigration laws. Um, so this is something, you know, people will no longer be deported uh, for cannabis-related uh, convictions and such. Nice. And then it la- lastly, it establishes a process to expunge convictions and conduct sentencing uh, review and conduct sentencing review hearings related to federal cannabis offenses, not the state. So we're, we, the people, are still going to have uh, some work to do if this were to get passed and signed by the president. Um, we're we're, we're going to have a significant amount of work at the state level to make sure we're catching up our state laws to, to match with the federal laws. And, of course, we have a lot of representatives and senators who are up for election uh, this particular election. So voting does matter. We do have a lot of candidates and we have been looking at the candidates, as a matter of fact, to see who has been uh in favor of, of our causes and who, who are against them. I know that uh, Ray Rodriguez, the former head of the, uh, the committee that tried to push the THC cap and things of that sort, is look like, like he's moving straight from the House to the Senate, which is even more powerful at times. And so we need to, to be uh, cognizant of that. Now, we realize that not everybody here is a one-topic voter. Uh, we, we have other things we are worried about, including as far as health care is concerned, things of that sort. And so we, we say, you know, take a look at the candidate and we're going to give you the information when it comes as, as far as cannabis issues. But it's up to you as to how you look at the whole the whole candidate. Yeah, Gary, you hit that right on the head. We, we actually endorsed uh, three candidates here in Florida um, in the primary elections. Two out of the three actually won their elections and one of them. Um, in the uh, in the Bay Area here in the Sun Coast, uh, um, uh, Michelle uh, Rayner uh, Goolsby, she actually uh, you know is going. She won that primary and is going straight to uh, straight into office. Uh, that was a universal primary. So uh, congratulations to uh, State Representative Elect uh, uh, Rayner, and uh, we appreciate um, her being willing to be a, a new voice in the House uh, for patients and for cannabis advocates. Yay, go Michelle. <laughs> Yay. And that was the position that was formerly held by uh, by Wendy Newton over in St. Petersburg. Yeah. You know, okay. so, it seems like the delegation is becoming more and more pro-cannabis as more elections happen. So. I still kind of think that's not very good, though. I mean, we had three in the area. I mean, how many local politicians are there that, that could actually throw their show support for this, you know? Well, um, yeah, there, there are significantly many more in the area that we, we would like to have, you know, open stances the, for them to be champions, not just to be a, a background vote, uh, you know, when things happen. Because some of them are, you know, are in positions of power that matter, like, like Gary pointed out. We, we want to have people that are out there championing the cause, um, not just being supportive. And so that's why it's important um, as far as this Morat go that you contact your member of Congress and that you ask them to be a co-sponsor. You ask them to, to champion this and, and get it through the House. Now, the next concern is, yes, we go for a floor vote in the House. Let's say it passes. Um, it heads over to the Senate. Uh, Mitch McConnell is essentially killing any legislation 
uh, coming out of the Democratic controlled House. So that that um, that obstinance is really hurting uh, the ability to do so much from whether it's passing a no, another COVID relief bill um, over to, to legalizing this. I mean, you know, uh, President Trump indicated that that in the past he's had support um, for you know legalization in, in some ways based on his personal statements. Um, so, you know, if, if we could get this through the Senate, then there's a possibility that he would sign it and, and the things would change. Uh, you know, significantly moving forward. Um, but this election itself is going to be vitally important. Um, essentially, you know, if the Republicans were to lose control of the Senate, then, you know, would, would Kamala Harris be the sponsor of this bill? Um, we should be able to get it through the through the Senate uh, moving forward. Um, if now, This is really a, a, brand new, a brand new Congress coming up, though, in January. So a lot of things reset. Yeah. Things are going to things are gonna have to be all... Sent through again, start from the beginning, go back to the, to the committee, and go on and on and on. This is what's been going on since 1972. They yeah, bills, and they literally die on the floor, and they have to get resubmitted every new Congress. Wow. Yeah, I recall doing my um, my master's, uh, uh, you know, capstone paper and looking at you know cannabis policy and going back to 2011. You know, you had uh, Ron Paul and and Barney Frank sponsoring uh, uh, essentially this bill to, to decriminalize. I mean, we, we've been at this over a decade in Congress and just elections keep ebbing and flowing uh, where we have split government. And then when we do have, you know, uh, United uh, Houses, you know, the, the Republicans at one point controlled the House and the Senate under the Obama administration and did not forward any bills uh, on this. And as I said before, it wasn't even making it out of committee uh, because of the committee chairman um, that there was at the time on the criminal justice committee. So now, there's now, a lot to be said. If you uh, happen to be stuck at home, uh, possibly furloughed, possibly uh, just waiting, doing all your work from home, and you tend to go over to congress.gov and look at all the bills since 1972 and put in the search term for either cannabis or marijuana, you will see over 170 bills that have been put through fruition, including ones as far back as 1972, right after the Controlled Substance Act was enacted. They already started to work on reversing it at that point in time, even when Nixon was still back in office for that little piece of time and beyond. So we've been at this for a lot, a lot longer than just the 10 years, but I have a feeling that we are going to actually get some kind of uh, progress this Congress coming up. Mm -hmm. But it, it really has a lot to do with not only whether or not it's a, a Democratic Congress or Republican Congress, but because this is a bipartisan I, issue, I, who I, is within each party that actually has the power to move it forward? I'm kind of scared, though, to get my hopes up, though, because, I mean, 170-something bills and the the furthest we've gone is up for a vote in Congress. Like, I mean, what that. I, I'm scared that you know I'm going to get. I don't get... hear you in my, my my headphones. Is that cool? You don't hear me in your headphones. Yeah, that's all right. I, I have that at home tonight too. I suddenly have Carl in my head at night. <laughs> I'm always <laughs> always in the back of your mind, Gary. No, I just I don't want to get my my hopes up because I mean this is this is the furthest the bill has ever got got in with 170 bills. Like I I don't I don't know what what would make it so dire to pass this bill now. Well, it's a matter of, of a lot of times getting bills passed is timing, um, having the political allies necessary to do it. Mm -hmm. A lot of work has gone up to this point to get the bill this far, to get it through committee, um, to get it to a, a floor vote in the House. Um, and, and so, like Gary was saying, 
if sure our country's current economics situation yeah. yeah but i'm sorry to cut you off kano no you 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 bring up a good point there it's just that it, the opportunity to get it through the process and it is entirely get it to the president's desk is this fall essentially now mm. will the senate even bother taking it up before the election and every indication is no you know the senate is going to be obstinate they're not going to take any bills that come out of the house um you know that's why i said it's important that you know folks who are listening folks who you know uh are in support of this uh should contact their senators and ask them to support this i've reached out to rick scott's office i've reached out to marco rubio's office and both of them their response has been you know they're not in favor of 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 any reform on cannabis you know mm. not in favor of legalizing it in any way shape or form and so uh, elections have consequences and as long as senator scott and senator rubio have those opinions then i'm of the opinion we need to vote them out in these upcoming elections here in florida Somebody was trying to tell me that Rick Scott was a better governor for marijuana reform than uh, De- DeSantis was, and ah! I just can't put my head around Sorry. that. I cannot put my head around that. Um, oh, that that's just basically misinformation. <laughs> with all due respect to whoever had heard that, because uh, it, it's a nice thought, but uh, actions speak louder than words, and we had a all. very hard time <laughs> under Governor Scott, including the way he had handled uh, and controlled the Department of Health. And how they'd handle the cannabis program here in Florida. I, well, that's exactly what I told them, Gary. Yeah, absolutely. because he's, he taught me that. <laughs> I would say this much: um, Governor Scott was in such a, a, a position, you know, both in 2014 and 2016, uh, to really champion the, the reform as governor, and he did not. He stood yeah. against it in many ways, spoke out against it. Um, you know, Governor DeSantis, on the other hand, is taking a more active role in it. I mean, if we're comparing, you know, governors, Republican governors at that, yeah, DeSantis definitely outranks Scott in, in you know, being pro-cannabis. Not by uh, much, That's but, but, not but, to uh, say he's good. Yeah, yeah, it's not to say he's good. That's just, he's better than awful. It's like, it's like saying, uh, uh, Rick Scott. Better than awful. What a great way to vote somebody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Rick Scott's like pure swag and, and DeSantis is just that, that step up. He's just regular regs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it. We, we need some creepy in office, you know? Yeah, exactly. Some chronic. Exactly. <laughs> chronic. Preferably a governor who has smoked the chronic and, and understands the benefits of it. Uh, yeah. So, so Chris, who do you think in our state uh, house right now has has used the chronic? Who has used it? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. not, not just with your at your parties because I know that I've seen a couple of them there. <laughs> Representative, yeah. you know who you are. You owe me yeah. five bucks. Yes, the, the Florida Democratic Cannabis Caucus after parties uh, is definitely <laughs> the place to be. Uh, I recall back a few years ago, we got the security called on us, and we all we got our party shut down at the at the diplomat hotel. That was yeah, that was fun, yeah. Yeah, it was a fun party until <laughs> they came and shut it down. So, oh, the fun part was getting kicked out too, because I went went to two other parties that were just as good. <laughs> but uh, Gary, you I've heard you didn't text me. I didn't know the party was still popping. I just thought I just went with the crowd, you know, just trying to avoid the the, uh, the Billy sticks. Yeah. yeah so, 
But it was funny well, how they how they grabbed the candidates and you literally pulled them out as quickly as possible. It was interesting. Indeed, indeed. The last thing you want is to be caught in one of Kano's cannabis parties, right? And- <laughs> or a, a a live boy or a dead girl. Absolutely, that's what they usually say in Congress. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Our Congress is, uh, is you know that I guarantee that, that joke does does touch an interesting point in that the corruption that we experience in our political system uh, has so much to do with these people in power uh, being insulated. Um, the system really does create a bubble uh, here in the Beltway for folks, and you know the the influence that big money has on our political process um, affects people's policy decisions so much. I mean, you see. And you wonder, you know, like, why are we operating still on fossil fuels when we've had renewable energy technology, you know, for several decades? Why do we still, you know, burn down the rainforest for farmland? Why do we, you know, still have these these offshore oil drilling accidents or these, you know, pipeline spills and such? And it all goes back to the amount of influence that big money has um, in our politics. It has had in our politics uh, for several decades. This isn't a recent thing. But campaign finance reform, you know, from we the people is is going to be vital. We have to take a more active role in our republic because too many of our, our elected officials um, are comfortable where they're at and they consistently get reelected. And, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, we want to see actual action. We want to see reform. And it's just not happening fast enough. There are people literally fighting and dying every day um, just to be healthy. And, and we have elected officials that are cool with the status quo. The status quo doesn't work for patients. It doesn't work for people sitting behind bars right now for cannabis possession. While there are former Wall Street bankers and even former members of Congress getting into this industry and making millions upon millions of dollars. And we do have uh, people in prison right now who have been there for decades for as little as a joint. Mm. Yes. Yep. And we, if you look at the last prison, the first prisoner project over there in California, you get a whole list of many of them that uh, could possibly get out with your help. Indeed. Um, a normal of Florida, uh, in conjunction with our chapter and some of the others uh, here in the state, are, are definitely working with the last prisoner project um, to work to get folks released who have you know, been on these lists and such um, in, you know, in regards to serving decades. You know, and, and Gary, you touched on it earlier. It goes back to racism. Uh, we see people, you know, in particular uh, men of color, African-American men um, in, in the South being sentenced to ridiculous uh, amounts of time over, you know, minor possession. And what for most people would be a ticket these days, uh, people are serving, you know, decades in, in prison for, for, for that. That's just not right. I mean, there is, there is some hope. There was a gentleman in, uh, in Hillsborough County who was just released after 37 years uh, 37 because of a lost years. DNA wow. sample that wow. was supposedly destroyed in 1990. And they found an old rape kit that had never been processed. And they processed it and they were able to eliminate him as a suspect in this uh, 1983 murder. And so he just got out after 37 years of serving for no reason whatsoever. And to think of that, like five years, I was arrested for... Uh, you know, just like a small little gram. And I just got a promise to appear paper. Had to do a divergent program. And of course, in the age of COVID, those people who do go to, to jail or to prison for these small amounts, and there are people still doing that because this is still discretionary, even at those time places where you have civil citations, people still go to jail. And right now, the uh, the jails and the prisons are rife with COVID. 
they are not testing these these people. Uh, they basically only test them when they're symptomatic. So, and a lot of times they don't want to tell the the, uh, the infirmary that they are symptomatic because if they are, they go into isolation, and that basically means solitary. A a, a, a seven by seven room with no windows, a, a door with a slot in it. Uh, practically no no food, no water. Sometimes it gets to be quite nasty. So, even telling somebody you're ill uh, gives you uh, even worse effects when you're out there. So we are still uh, proposing that we get everybody who is in those low, uh, the nonviolent offenders like uh, cannabis offenders, out and put them into either a home arrest or whatever you wish to do, but get them out of that 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 situation and thin that population out so they can. Uh, uh, properly social distance, which is very difficult in, in a correctional facility. We have had thousands. Uh, we, have, we, have, we, we now hit the 100th death in the prisons here in the state of Florida from COVID. And we've wow. had thousands of those people who have been, who've been infected in, in both the for-profit and the, uh, and the state prisons as well. So we, our heart goes out to those people who are, who are serving their time and uh, who are, serving possibly a life sentence without them even realizing it. Wow. Gary, I'm glad you brought up uh, about for-profit prisons because in the grand scheme of things, when we're looking at why isn't this going through, what, why is it that there are so many bills and, 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 and chances to, to get this through the political process, who are the powers that be that are stopping it? You know, obviously, as we said before, it's the money that influences a lot of politicians' decisions and and policy stances, and the private prisons are one of the largest lobbies working against patients, working against advocates who are for you know cannabis reform. You have you know huge private prison corporations like Core Civic, which used to be uh, Correction Corporations of America. You have the Geo Group, and, and these uh, very big in Florida. Yeah, I mean they they run the immigration detention centers uh, where the kids that that are were separated from their parents at the border are being uh, stored. So all around, you know, if you're looking for an evil corporation to blame for our, our political process, you know, being held up, it, it, it's not a, you know, a stretch to just take a look at, at where these private prisons are and, and how they're influencing our politics. Many of the anti-cannabis legislators, even in the Democratic side uh, in Florida, um, receive contributions from these private prisons. So, any, you know, anytime that I, I'm concerned about a politician, a very simple uh, campaign finance search on the state elections, uh, Department of Elections website um, can show you contributions to see where they're coming from. Um, you know, I recall an interesting one. We were at a conference, but it was like two Februarys ago in Orlando, and Kerry Pigman was on stage, and he was, uh, you know, there with um, Randy Fine and some other uh, elected officials. I believe Nikki Fried was on the stage, and they were talking about how they're all, you know, cannabis warriors, and it was shocking to me because at the same time, I'm, he's up there saying this. I'm, I'm looking through his campaign of finance, and I see the contributions that he's receiving from these, um, you know, big pharma, uh, from these major pharmaceutical corporations, which do not want to see cannabis move forward without them being able to corner the market. So, so you know, it, it is definitely follow the money trail if you want to know. Yeah. So they're saying they're going to help. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of fun now. hanging out in Tallahassee, but I got to tell you, if you really want to see corruption in action. Feel free to come to Tallahassee because you can see it in full force. It's not in your face, but uh, when you connect the dots, the, the, the connections are very, very strong in regards to how special interests can control. 
Now, that said, that is not everybody. There are, uh, there are various candidates who won't even take money from any, any, any of these special interests. They prefer to go with, for, uh, <clears throat> with the people, kind of like Carlos Guillermo Smith, who will not take he he, he uh, famously sent back a huge check from Walmart. He said he wasn't going to take it from a uh, a large facility because he doesn't want any a, any optic that appears that he's he's corrupted because there is so much out there. It's a shame that you actually have to prove that, but yep. that is the way it is in, in Tallahassee. And well, those, those private prisons are donating to a PAC, which actually is uh, dedicated to electing new Democrats to office. And one of the people that sit on that PAC that's soliciting those donations is uh, Senator Daryl Roussan, who's been very anti-cannabis in the past, but recently has had a come to Jesus moment on it. So I find it interesting that, you know, someone can say, hey, I'm your ally in this fight, but then you're taking money from the people who are not our allies, who are clearly adversaries. Mm. But of course, in, in elections, you need money to win an election. That's all there is to it. You can't do it on a shoestring. You have to go out and, and, and put out all the... Uh, publicity and things of that sort and get get volunteers some water bottles and things whatever you need, need to have to happen so they do need the money uh so yeah but the, the question is if someone gives you a, a donation do you have to give them a quid pro quo yeah that is the question it, and, it, and it's not set in stone you don't have to mm. well gary you're you're uh you know but still, like Carlos, Carlos takes uh, doesn't take money from from big organizations. Yet he's still, you know, in office. Like it's still possible to run an election um, in this new way of like you know taking small donations from a large group of people. Yeah, I mean, we see um, that in, uh, Representative Anna Escamani is another one um, here in the Bay Area. Um, you know, someone who uh, you know I'm pretty sure will we'll wind up endorsing here down the road. Uh, uh, Jessica Harrington, who's running for state mm -hmm. house, is Jamie Grant, school teacher. Yeah, yeah, she's not taking money from these big corporations. She's she's you know she's raised um, the most money of any you know person you know seeking office right now who's new, and she's done it from small donations. Um, so mm -hmm. it is possible to wage a grassroots campaign. Um, it's probably you know, much more difficult. Well, I don't think you know this, uh, yeah. Chris, but uh, Jamie Grant has taken a position uh, as a chief information officer. For uh, I forget which uh, which department there, but so he's moving into a, a different role within the uh, the executive branch right now. So that that uh, that race is going to change significantly. Yeah, oh. it'll be nice, you know. Uh, uh, just get the phone. Top, we'll have one more ally uh, in the state house, uh, so that'll be great. You know, Gary, before we we had, um, jumped on this topic, you know, you were talking about you know you can you can utilize money and not quid pro quo. But I mean, you know, you're a man of faith. I'm a, I'm a man of faith. I mean, Carlos, not so much, but uh, <laughs> with money and not and not end up, you know, owing them something. And that's the the bigger question that that you know, in my opinion, the answer is no. But you know, some some people believe you could take the devil's money to do God's work, um, and you know that remains to be seen <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. Well, let's talk a little bit about what is going to happen at this next upcoming session in Tallahassee, because a lot of the, the uh, parameters in, in effect in previous years are going to be changing because there is going to be, because of COVID, a massive budget shortage. So the question is, what can we do to bring this to our advantage? And of course, if we did have a, a bill that brought forward uh, adult use, and, and allowed to have taxes taken uh, from that particular product, that would help out in a great 
greatly because right now we are going to have, like I said, massive across-the-board shortages right now. Now, right now, they are cutting back on, among the other things, the Department of Health, which I think is ridiculous in the age of COVID, but there's just so much money to go around. And they need to, to be careful of that. And so we need to make certain that any bill that we push has something that will move it forward, some uh, some other way to move it uh, in, in the right direction. And your Suncoast Normal is going to be, again, working on the various bills to regulate, uh, <laughs> to, to uh, deregulate, so to speak, uh, the program as we have it right now. Because right now, if you go into an institution, uh, say, be it a hospital or a nursing home, whatever, they can take your medicine away. And if you're, you're, you're up for a, uh, a organ transplant, they can take you off the list. And we can, we can get this regulated out. Also, right now, you can still be uh, either denied a job or fired just for having a medical card, even if you don't even use anything at work or even just before work. And again, this can be regulated out, and this is one of the things we're working on. And we even have a bill for home growth. So we're going to be pushing as well because we feel that these are inalienable rights, but, but because of, uh, of government, we have to have some kind of regulatory thing in place. Let's kind of make it as people-friendly as possible. Gary, you bring up a good point that, that this upcoming legislative session is going to be crucial for reforming the system. Some other key points that may not have bills just yet, but that, that we should look at addressing and, and that anybody should look at addressing, especially asking their legislators, is uh, this issue around how you get your recommendation. You know, right now, due to COVID, uh, people are able to get recertified as patients uh, through telemedicine. And, uh, you know, I if it works for that, then why can't it work for, you know, initial visits, for initial certification? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if you have a, a, a qualifying condition, you know, I, I don't see what the, the in-person um, visit on, on the initial screening, you know, is going to make that big of a difference. Like if you have it, you have it. If you if Your medical records show you have PTSD, you have PTSD. Your medical records show that you have, you know, a, a chronic pain, you have chronic pain. I mean, what, what's what's one more doctor, um, you know, visit doing other than costing patients more money? And so the ability to, to get your record exactly. telemedicine uh, should be something that we are able to do moving forward. I think that has a lot to do also with pressure from the Board of Medicine. These are the guys that are still working on that pattern board, which basically looks to see if certain doctors are giving out too many recommendations for chronic pain, that kind of situation. But we do need to expand the number of conditions that are allowed. Uh, I don't know why uh, so many of them have been left out, including autism, and among mm -hmm. other things, that we, we, have, that we have found actually does have benefits that are working out there. And in regards to mental health is concerned, uh, the, <clears throat> the number of studies that are coming out showing the benefits of psilocybin and psilocin, which are the two major components of uh, what they used to call magic mushrooms, uh, are, do, are doing amazing things in reducing the amount of depressive disorder. And the people mm -hmm. who have depressive disorder can become very unfunctional. And to have this release because of a medicine which they can get legally and get a recommendation for would be a godsend. So that is that is along the lines of the same kind of things we'll be looking at in the near future. Am I am I freaking out here? Or did that lamp just move behind you? <laughs> Trying to avoid being caught on the camera, but yes, <laughs> the guys in the house. That was just lighting the lights. It's like there's a ghost in your house, man. 
<laughs> oh, now I hear. Her. Yeah, there, there are ghosts all over DC. That's just that's the place as it is. Could be Alexander Hamilton. Okay, guys, I think we've been on for about thirty-five minutes now, so I think it's uh, it's time to call it quits. Anybody got any final thoughts here? Well, just on, on the Gary's point about ghosts being in DC, uh, for those of you who may not know, The Exorcist was actually filmed uh, at Georgetown. But the, the true story of where that happened was based on a young boy that was possessed in the 40s. And it is actually uh, just up the road in Maryland, that actual house you can go to it and such. So a uh, lot of cool paranormal history. Oh, man. It's actually like two blocks away from here. And I've, I actually know the guy that owns it. But the, the house that um, I forgot his name, but he was at Reefer Madness was based off of him. Um, and like, he like freaked out and killed his family and like the news blamed the Tampa Bay times itself, like blamed it on marijuana and that spiraled into the whole reefer madness. Movie. Oh, Victor Licata, you're talking Victor about. Victor Licata. Yeah. Yeah. He lived in, he lived he, in uh, Ybor city. As a he lived in the Italian two, two blocks down that way. Right. And, uh, like the, the, the house is owned by my buddy Kurt that, uh, runs S3 media. And like, wow. apparently he moved into the house without realizing what the house was. And he saw like axe uh, indentations on a windowsill and like, didn't realize what it was. He was just like, oh, my windowsill is messed up. Let me go ahead and fix this. And then after he fixed it, he realized that that was probably Victor Licata, you know, axing somebody to death there. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. Man. Yeah. It's an interesting story. He did commit suicide in prison when they took his medicine away. Mm. But uh, that that is one of those issues we've had to deal with for many, many years. And the fact that they actually used his case, even at the U.N., when they're talking about uh, making it illegal uh, universally, that uh, it's quite a uh, historic place. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Gary, on a closing thought, you, you definitely bring up a good point is that too much of our government's um, focus even today uh, is on the negative effects of cannabis. There is there is very little research dollars uh, for positive effects. And even if you want to uh, get a study done on positive effects, you know, in the case of like Dr. Sue Sicily, you have government agencies at every way, step or form uh, trying to, to, you know, put a roadblock, trying to prevent that research from happening. But, you know, it seems like the DEA, the National Institute for Drug Abuse will gladly hand you a grant if you're trying to, uh, you know, prove some, some ridiculous reefer madness hypothesis. Mm-hmm. You know, the person who was pushing the uh, the bill in D.C. to open up research for cannabis has been Matt Gates, which just goes to show you that, you know, there are people on both part, on, on both sides. And Matt is way over on that side uh, that it can actually be helpful to our side. movement. Don't think for a second that Democrats have any uh, stronghold on, on pro cannabis law. It is um, there are bipartisan he- heroes on both sides. Take a look at them. And like right now, I'm a little upset with our Democratic Party because I think they put together a platform that took cannabis out of it. And that even w- was promoted by one of my favorite congressmen, Kathy Castor, over here in, in, uh, in Tallahassee. So in Tallahassee, in, in the Tampa area. So by all means, contact your representatives and tell them how you feel. They need to know. They're, not, they're, they're human beings. They will listen. 
Well, most of them are human beings. If you're interested in, 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 in knowing more about who voted in the Democratic platform for cannabis legalization and who voted against it, you can visit our website, suncoastnormal.org. Um, there is a blog up there, and I did post the roll call vote. So everybody can see uh, at this last Democratic National Convention, you know, who was uh, for it, who was against it. And let's hold these folks accountable. Um, you know, to me, you know, Congresswoman Cather, Castor does have uh, some some you know, it has to answer to the people. And so every election we have these opportunities, but that goes back to what I was saying before. You get people in these non-battleground seats that get comfortable and the only way to remove them from office is to primary them. But they have the advantage of having millions of dollars of being an incumbent, of being able to take money uh, from the powers that be. So that, you know, it, it does become difficult. So these upcoming races are vitally important. Um, we'll do our best to, to educate you. And if you ever have a question about our particular race, do not hesitate to reach out to us as a group. Uh, you can hit us up on Facebook um, or you visit our website. We're always happy to educate our patients and members. And of course, normal is people powered. So we need as many people subscribing to Suncoast Normal and becoming a member. And Carlos, why don't you give us a commercial about membership? <laughs> Well, the uh, way our organization works is we're a membership-based organization. That means membership, uh, people pay dues through memberships, and uh, that money comes in to fund our cause. So our cause is going to get nowhere unless you guys sign up to be a member at suncoastnormal.org. Um, and that's the best way that you can show support for this organization as an individual. You can also show support for this organization by taking your business and becoming a business member for Suncoast Normal. And, um, you know, uh, Kano has been out championing, championing that, that business membership. So, like, maybe he should tell us a little something about that. Sure thing. So our, our business members are unique in that we uh, work together to help promote um, each other's platforms and events. Um, so some of you may have seen uh, medical marijuana uh, treatment centers of Florida, uh, you know, and medical uh, marijuana awareness seminars um, are, are business members that we have. And so in the past, you know, they've uh, helped, uh, you know, uh, push things across social media. Um, you may have seen some of the benefits and joining the free webinars in our member newsletters and, and seeing it on our Facebook page. Uh, so for our business members, you have the opportunity to collaborate with Suncoast Normal, both on our website, our various social media platforms, uh, be in our newsletter to our members, um, as well as, you know, promote your events and have the opportunity to even sponsor uh, our podcast here on the rotation and uh, also um, our radio broadcast on WTMP. So if you're interested in a business membership, uh, please contact us directly and we will negotiate the terms of that and, and lay that out for you and your organization. And I should mention that I am wearing a Takuna Alam hat. I want you to know that this was given to me for free for no compensation whatsoever. He has so not we are not case. sponsored by Takuna Alam yet. If you, but they do have some of the finest strains in the world. Tov ma'od, Todev. I appreciate the Takuna Alam. And I am also wearing a Galaxy cannabis shirt, which is one of the great brands in Canada. They didn't give us any money either. And if you guys watching the live stream, you see this our live stream restream graphic coming up on the on the uh, screen there. That could be your business logo. Absolutely. Just saying. <laughs> and, uh, I'd be remiss. Uh, Gary's mentioned the brands. I am sporting my Weed for Warriors project. This is a <laughs> quarantine edition shirt. Uh, so you know the first uh, quarantine four twenty that we've had this far so shout out to the we for one if we're mentioning business shirts i'm wearing a chilling because shirt we right believe now. that our veterans are not suckers 
or losers. Well, guys, it was a great show. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on the live stream. We're going to get that Twitter up, but you can follow us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, subscribe to us on YouTube. This show will be uh, live streaming on YouTube next week. And, uh, yeah, anything else, guys? Anybody want to say anything? Well, normally this time of year we start getting legislative delegations right after the, uh, the elections. Uh, so and, and people usually have to start signing up now. I don't know how they're going to work on it this year. But that's the first step towards moving bills towards Tallahassee. Whatever the, uh, the policies come up, whatever the programs come up, we'll tell you about it. And we'd love to see you in Tallahassee helping us move these things forward. You can make a difference with us. Okay, well, everybody. Bye. We'll see. Bye. <laughs>